thank you. As you're being seated, I want to invite you to take out your copy of God's Word and turn to Matthew chapter 13, the 13th chapter of Matthew. We're looking at the parable of the sower. And really what I want to do this morning is just to begin with a little bit of refresher. What is it that Jesus is doing here? What, what, what's going on? Jesus came to the earth and he came, listen, let's don't make any mistake. The Son of God came to die on the cross to pay for our sins. His death, the shedding of his blood is for the remission of our sins. And that's why he came so that mankind, those who choose by faith, to receive the free gift of forgiveness, can trust him and claim his death, burial, and resurrection as their own. That delivers people from a hopelessness and gives eternal life. That's why Jesus came. He came to deliver us from sin, from hopelessness, but he also came to deliver us to something, from sin, but to eternal life to abundant life following Jesus he came not only to forgive our sins but he came that he might create disciples or followers who would also carry on the work good works that would glorify the father and that's what Jesus is doing here he came to die he spent 12 chapters in Matthew as Matthew records it trying to reach the lost house of Israel and then in chapter 13, he begins making his transition to all mankind. And I want you to read with me, beginning in chapter 13 in verse 1. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And a great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Verse 5, some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, where they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. That's what we're going to focus on today. We're looking at the shallow heart the shallow heart. And we've already established that the seed represents the Word of God and the soil or the kinds of different soil that we're going to hear about from Jesus reflects the kind of heart, the condition of our heart as we receive or hear the Word. Now, when it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to being a disciple, there's an incredibly important, a very critical element. We cannot, we just cannot follow Jesus and become like Him without His Word. And so we've already established the title of this series called Bring the Book because it's so important for us to follow him, to bring the book, understand his word, but we also have learned or we are learning this truth. Just because we hear the word, just because it says Bible in one of the titles on our church or in our Sunday school class, just because we carry it around with us, just because we proclaim to be people of the word does not necessarily mean that what we hear and, and read and receive will actually come to fruition to bear fruit. There's some preparation needed in our own hearts. And we're going to read about the shallow heart and see, is there any stones, is there any layer underneath that, that prevents God's word when we hear it, when we receive it, from going deeply into our hearts so that it might produce fruit? Let me just remind you, church, the goal, not my goal, the goal of the Lord Jesus Christ is that when we receive his word that it would change us and therefore reflect out in some of our character who we are what we do in such a way now watch this this is fruit 
that glorifies God. You see that? If we become followers of Jesus and believers of the book and hearers of the word, and our lives never reflect the glory of God, if there's, if there's not fruit coming in our character and what we do that gives glory to God, that represents who God is, his distinct holiness and nature, then we are in danger of being one of these hearers, these shallow hearers. Now, Jesus himself gives light to the interpretation of the parable. Skip over to verse 20. We'll read just these two verses. Speaking of that seed that was sown in the shallow ground, he says, verse 20, but he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Look at what Jesus says. It is possible to receive the word and yet never let it get to the depth necessary to produce fruit. It's possible. And so what we want to do is make evaluation in our own lives this morning. The shallow heart, let's look at three things together. We're going to look at the problem. What's the problem with the shallow heart? What does Jesus say? Then we're going to look at the process. How does that work? What does the shallow heart and the seed getting uh, scorched out look like? How does that happen and what can we do and compare it to our lives? And then thirdly, finally, we want to close this morning by looking at the results. What happens when God's word is planted into our shallow hearts? And therefore, how can we make sure that when God's word is planted, it's actually not that result, but is actually bearing fruit, the results that he's looking for. So the three things, the first thing is the problem. The problem is very clear. There's no depth. The the heart is too, in a sense, there are these stones. If you've ever gone out and tried to plant something in stony ground, the, the stones, the rocks, the hardness gets in the way of the roots being able to get down deeply. And we all know, even those of us that are not agriculturalists, know that you've got to have some deep roots to really get down and get the moisture and get the nutrients that it needs to produce fruit. So if there's something blocking the roots, then we call that the ground is too shallow. It's not able to penetrate deeply enough. So this heart is someone who has no depth in their heart. Now, here's what I want to point out. Just because a hearer of God's word has no depth in his heart does not mean he isn't somebody that is trying to follow the Lord that isn't happy and in agreement with the things of Jesus Christ. Look at what Jesus says about this guy who has the, uh, who's received the seed in stony places. In verse 20, he said, he hears the word, now watch what happens to this here, and then he immediately receives it with joy. That is, this is a person who gladly hears and receives God's word. We're not talking about a picture of somebody who's in rejection of who Jesus is. We're not talking about somebody who's in rebellion against the things of God. This is a follower, this is a believer who hears what Jesus is saying and agrees with it and is glad to hear it and receives it with joy. We might say this is the emotional hearer. Emotional hearing is not bad. Emotional response is not bad. But but the danger is when the emotional response is as far as God's word gets in our lives. And that's the case here. There's no depth. He's just an emotional hearer. Here. Now, what are some things that we can look at to make sure that in our lives we're not an emotional hearer? I want to show you three things, characteristics, if you will, of the emotional hearer. The first one, we're going we're to turn to Ezekiel 33 in a minute, so you might want to make your way there. The first one is this. An emotional hearer is one who seeks for communication without commitment. Communication without 
commitment. So, so he hears, he seeks for the communication, but it's just communication. It doesn't carry with it the commitment necessary to follow through. And we read about this back in the Old Testament. They have the same problem. God speaking to the prophet Ezekiel. Look at verse 30. You're, you're there with me? Verse, chapter 33, verse 30. Y'all with me? All right, let's try something. I just want to make sure we're all together and, and prepared. Let, let's, let's just establish something in our relationship. If I'm going to get ready to say something that's from God's word, and I think it's really important, and you need to have, like Jesus said, ears to hear, you need to really be open and receive it, then I'm just going to simply say, ears, okay? I'm going to say ears, and we'll do this forever. You'll get sick of it. Ears means, okay, I need to stop, think, open my heart, listen so that it penetrates down deeply into my heart. If I say ears, then what I want you to say to make sure that you heard me and that you're prepared is I want you to say open, okay? So I'll try this out. This is just practice this morning. We'll get some warm-ups and all that and second chances. So let's just try. I say ears. Open. That's pretty good. You know, that's about a B. That's okay. If you really want me to get, if you want me to get excited and really bring it home, then you just need to say open louder with some passion. Open like we mean it. We really want to hear. Like remember and bring the book, the people in the Old Testament, truth, truth, bring the truth, tell us. And we say open. So I say ears. All right. Look at what it says. Chapter 33, verse 30. As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses. And they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. Verse 31. So they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but with their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. And when this comes to pass, surely it will come. Then they will know that a prophet has been among them. God's speaking in this account to Ezekiel. And Ezekiel's the one who's speaking God's word. He's the prophet, so he's bringing the word of God. And God's saying, listen, they're listening to you, Ezekiel. And it, and it seems like you're very, you're, there's a season of popularity here. They're, they're receiving it with joy. They're glad to hear it. They, they're, like, they're like people who love to hear it, but it says, but they hear, but they're not willing to do. And, and God is almost warning Ezekiel here, there's something coming in the life of Israel and these followers, these hearers, that they're going to be sorry. And they're going to say, we should have listened and obeyed and followed through when we had the word. Do you see that happening here? Do you see it? Now look, it, it's clearly the word. The end of verse 30 says, please come and hear what the word of the Lord is. It comes from the Lord. And then they sit before and, and they're ready to receive it. But they do not do them. Now watch this. I want to sh show you this line. It says, for with their mouth they show much love, but with their hearts they pursue their own gain. Now, what was the problem? How did the people get to where they would, they would be glad to hear and sit before the, the reading of God's word and the one who would bring God's word and, and seem so excited and so genuine about it, but, but it never really come to any fruit in their life? There was a heart issue. It wasn't a hearing issue. It was an attitude issue. It was something inside their heart. It said, they come to you, 
as people do, to hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts, now watch this, pursue their own gain. You see that? In other words, they're listening and receiving the word with great joy, but in their hearts, they're really pursuing what would benefit them. Watch this. We're going to extrapolate the truth here. What that means is they're not listening in such a way as to want to do in response what the will of the Father is when they hear the word. Instead, they're listening for how can I listen to God's word and then do what I want to do with it. You see, it all begins in the heart before the word even rests, before it even begins to penetrate in the heart. Is it seeking my own will? Is it seeking for communication with God? I want to hear from him. I want to know what he says. I want blessings from God. I want to be pleasing to God, but I'm only going to really receive that which I hear, which lines up with what I already want to do. Uh Uh-oh. Somebody stepped on some toes right there. If we're honest, sometimes that's us. Now, you've got to be honest, okay? You've got to look in your own heart. Is that sometimes, you know, I'm excited about the things that tell me what I want to hear. I'm excited about the things that talk about grace and forgiveness and blessing and God's patience with me, and those are all exciting things. But almost every time in the scriptures, God's grace and his patience is also followed with our obligation, our commitment to follow through in that relationship, to do something in response to his grace and his patience, to be good stewards of what he has given us, to enjoy the ongoing relationship. Are you with me? So it's, uh, an emotional hearer is one that seeks for the communication, receives the communication, but doesn't want the commitment level that if the communication takes me outside of what I want to do, I'll do it anyway. Here's what I want to know. Dads, husbands, as the leader of your home, Are you prepared to lead by example this morning that when you hear from God, not only in this sermon, but in your quiet time and your own personal reading and Bible study, are you prepared, no matter what your heart wants, to do what the Word of God says regardless? Because that decision, before you even open the Word, determines what kind of fruit will eventually come. Emotional hearers are those, they have this superficial love of the Lord that only goes as far as they agree with and want in their own heart. Number two, an emotional hearer is also someone who seeks for collection without completion. Collection without completion. And to to show you what that looks like, I want you to turn back in the New Testament to Colossians chapter 3, collection. We listen to what God says and we need to collect something from it, right? I think most of us would agree that we need God's word. There's truths, there's nuggets, there's blessings, there's even instruction. And when we tend to go to God's word most in need of collection is when we're empty. When our plates are empty, when we've exhausted all our own efforts, when we found out that, you know what, uh, our finances dried up and there's a crisis or, or our health is no longer good and something shocks us, something jerks us, and all of a sudden we see that In our own, listen, our own ability to provide what we need for ourselves, we find ourselves bankrupt, don't we? We all get there. We get to the place where we're in desperate need. And those are the times where the emotional hearer goes to the word of God only for collection. What can I I collect from what God says so that I'm no longer bankrupt and in great need? But look at what Colossians 3, verse 15 says. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. 
to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. How do I let God's peace rule, take up authority in my life? Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual song, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The key is that first line, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It doesn't say, it doesn't say let the word of Christ come and fill your cup when it's empty and then leave it on the counter. It doesn't say every once in a while when you really, really need it. Listen, when you're desperate and you don't have anywhere else to go, come to the Word of God and it will provide what you need and you can take it and leave it as you need it. That's not what it says. Paul's telling the church here at Colossae, he's saying, let God's Word that comes from the voice and the heart of God, let it dwell in you. That word dwell. In oikeo. Very simple word. Basically, it's translated from two root words, en, E-N, which is just a preposition. It's a primary preposition uh, denoting a fixed position, something that's fixed, permanent. And then oikeo is to occupy your home, to occupy your place of residence. So it's talking about to occupy from a place of fixed position. Do you get the idea? It's a permanent place of dwelling. It's the home base. It's the place where it always lives. What are we talking about here? The words of Christ. And according to the scriptures, where are the words of Christ supposed to, from a fixed position, dwell, remain, home base, live, inside of our hearts? That's different than I just come to, to, to collect a piece. That carries with it the idea that God's word takes up residence, resides, it lives there, and then, and then when I act, when I live, it comes from the place, watch this, it comes from the place of the pool, the spring of God's word which already dwells and lives and remains in me. See, God's word is always working to bring about a completion process. The word that's in your heart has application and power and resource today and tomorrow. You don't, most of you don't realize what you're going to face tomorrow, right? Some of you think you know. you got your day planned out. If you're like me and you're a little bit anal about these things, you have a lot of your day planned out, right? And you want, in order for you to be okay, you want for your day to go just as you've got it planned out tonight when you go to bed. Is anybody with me on that? Some people aren't like that, but some people are. Okay, there's a few honest people in here. There's more than that, I know. I'm not the only one. And what happens, those of you that raised your hand, what happens when tomorrow morning comes? 90% of the time, maybe even more, it doesn't go exactly as we have it planned out, does it? You understand every tragedy and every crisis comes as a surprise to some of you. Every time you find the end of yourself, you realize, I didn't see this coming. I didn't prepare properly for this. If you go to God's word just simply to bail you out. Now listen, it will. God's word is powerful. It never returns void. God's word has redemptive, instructional, 
correcting values, it will always, it will always help. Even if you only go to it in times of crisis. But you understand what God wants to do in your life is not just bail you out in times of crisis. He wants fruit. He wants to produce fruit in your life. So the word isn't just for you to collect when you need it. The word of God is to dwell in your heart so that it completes, so that it matures, so that it forms you, so that it begins to develop your priorities. Your decisions are made based on a wellspring of the words of Christ which live and remain in your heart. You see the difference? Let it dwell in you. And then I just need to point this out before we move on. Richly. I love that. Richly. The idea is that there is abundantly. Guys, I'm not sure I'm there yet. In fact, I'm pretty sure I'm not there yet. But I'm striving and longing for the day when the word of God dwells in my heart abundantly. I want it to season the way I talk. I want it, when, when we sing songs and when we speak to one another, as it says in verse 16, I want those songs and, and what comes from my heart and my communication and treatment of you, I want that to come from this continual overflow of what God's word says that, that lives in my heart. Not, not I go grab it when I need it, but it lives there. It's because I want the completion process. I want to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. I don't want just the collection. I want the whole process. I want everything God wants to do in my heart and in my life in his word. It has to be a priority. And by the way, how does that happen? How do we become people like that? Let me just, probably many ways, let me just tell you one way that I would like for us to do it as a church. We've got to create and maintain such a culture, such a climate of dependence and responding and uh, abundant overflow of God's word in everything we do, that that becomes the norm, right? Not the extreme. Not, so when visitors come to Crosspoint Community Church and they come and say, wow, you know, every once in a while that you could see something that, that resonates from God's word in their lives and in their church. Not, not that. But when people come in this building, they are, listen, drowned in the overflow of God's word richly dwelling in us and coming out in the way we speak and the way we treat one another and even in crisis in times of, of need. We've got to have that culture. That has to be what we all talk about, seek after, create as a priority in our small groups and in our women's studies and in our men's breakfast gatherings. All of those things. Guys, we cannot be, we cannot be collectors without complete and process. Thirdly, an emotional here is someone who seeks Christ without the cost. Christ without the cost. Turn to Matthew chapter 8, if you will. Jesus deals with this himself. Matthew chapter 8. Now, sometimes, sometimes God's word can be a little bit strong, especially if, if we're far away from it. I just want to ask, and I'm, and I'm going to do it in a minute by saying ears, and then you're supposed to remember to say something. So just a, just a heads up, just a warning. I'm going to ask you 
before you hear what Jesus Christ is about to say to you in his word, are you prepared, no matter what you think, no matter what you feel, no matter what you've been told before, are you prepared to do anything to get it into your life? Ears. Okay, well, that was like a B minus. So we need to be going the other way, guys. That's going down. We need to be going up. All right, well, we have more chances to practice. This is Jesus now. He's about ready to speak to our heart. Listen, not my words, but the Lord himself. Chapter 8, verse 18. And when Jesus saw the great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, don't let the confrontational value of what Jesus is saying cause you to dismiss it because we opened our hearts. What, what is he saying about the way that I should live if I want to seek Christ? If I want Christ, he's saying, if you want to follow me, good, okay? Not discouraging it, he's encouraging it. But he's saying, if you do want to follow me, know this, that there's going to be some cost associated with that. And he says that in these two examples, he says, he says you know, there's a place of refuge for the foxes and the birds. They have a place to get away, to rest, you know what he's saying? If you want to be a follower of me, guess what? There's no reprieve. We're going to start off on this discipleship journey, and guess what, church? If we're going to want all of Christ, it means getting to the place where there's no going back to a place where, okay, that's too much, I don't want to do that anymore. There's no time, no place in a commitment for Christ that allows us to go back and, and take care of, you know, get some more details lined up, get some more of our own plans and our own. He said, that's not the way it works. If you want Christ, it comes with a cost. Following Christ comes with a cost. I, I, I know, and the reason I'm saying this over and over again is because I know it's popular, it sells books to not talk about this. And so you go to the Christian bookstore and you read all these books and there's lots of good books. There, there, there are many wonderful books, but sometimes they don't always deal with this stuff. And so if we're not careful, we become listeners and followers of what man is saying about God's word rather than God's word. So I'm just going to tell you what it says. It says, to follow me, there is a cost. Are you with me? Now, before you get too scared, especially if you're new to this whole church thing, this Jesus stuff is like, okay, I knew it. Those Christians, all they want to do is they want a, a list of, of do's and don'ts, and they just want to be, they want to make sure I'm doing everything. That, no, 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 before you go there, hold on, time out. Understand this truth. Christ is way better than the cost. The cost is what brings us to the abundance of what Christ has. It's it's way better than not paying the cost and just dealing with it without Christ and living your life without Christ. That's a greater cost. So you see, there's a cost coming no matter what. I read this week, I had the country music station. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I admitted that in church. I had the country music station on my 10-hour drive yesterday. 
and it was the only, only thing I can get. And I like some country music, it's okay, but, but I was listening to the, the commentator in between the songs, and they were talking about this last week, all the superstar country western singers who have their marriages end in divorce this week. And it was, I was like, are you kidding, another one? Another one? Another one. Their marriage dissolved in destruction. Now listen, don't forget, in most cases there are children and their lives are ruined. See, even those that seem to have it all together and they have anything they could possibly want, they find out there's a cost to not having Christ in your marriage. That cost is far greater than what the Lord would have asked them to do to continue to follow him and have no place to go back to in the world. Do you see it? It's way better. It's way better. There's a cost coming regardless. Um, let me just time out because I know it can get rough sometimes and I want to I shepherd you and help you with this. Before you think that tomorrow morning I have to wake up and be instantly Hudson Taylor and give up my entire everything and go to some foreign country in the middle of nowhere and trust God for everything. I mean, that's great if you do. By the way, if there's anybody that feels like they want to do that tomorrow, would you call me and let me know? I want in on that. Our church wants to be part of that, if that's you, because God will bless it. But, but most of us, we're just like, okay, what's the next step for me? Just what in everyday life, where is it that Jesus is calling you to go on, listen, here's my word. What my word says is this. It is calling you to take one more step that's just, when I do this, I'll be that much more committed and sold out to who Jesus is and to what he does. What's that next step for you? More than likely, church, more than likely, when God's word begins to penetrate in your life, watch this, this is, I won't even charge you extra for this, watch when God's word begins to penetrate into your heart, into your life, more than likely, at some point, it's going to bring you to a place where you're going to have to struggle with, do I want what's comfortable or do I want to continue here? Hey, listen, I've read the Bible beginning to back over and over, studied it. You have too. You know this is what God's word says. At some point, following him is going to lead you to a place where you're going to have to choose to be uncomfortable to go on am i in the right room is that is that jesus we're we talking about the cross we're we talking about his perfect example but was it far better i must be in the wrong room when jesus died on the cross and all your sins are forgiven and he gave you eternal life and he gave it to you for free was that better So where in your life is he bringing you to a place where you're going to have to choose my comfort or taking another step following Jesus? Are you going to be an emotional hearer? Are you going to say, yeah, that's what God's word says. Amen. Ears are open. I'm ready to hear it. But that's too uncomfortable. If it costs me that, I don't want to do that. Well, what's going to happen? Are you going to lose your salvation? No. Are you going to go to hell? No. What's going to happen? Let's look at the process of what happens. Turning back to Matthew chapter 13, the problem is no depth in our heart. The process looks like this. Look at verse 21. 
Jesus speaking again in this parable. He says, Yet he who has no root in himself but endures only for a while, watch this, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. What happens? The process is you stumble. And according to the original parable in verse 6, here's what stumbling looks like. The word of God was planted in your life. God wanted to grow fruit. Are you with me? Wonderful things, fruit. But instead, it begins to grow up. And as soon as it grows up, the sun comes and scorches it. And the Bible says it's withered away. It dies. Before, hey, hey, newsflash. Before producing any fruit. You know, there are so many people frustrated with God's word because they never give it a chance to really bear fruit in their lives. You've got to embrace the whole process. It's, it, Jesus said this guy had no endurance. He, he endures only for a while, but when tribulation or persecution arises, when the sun comes up and the heat starts, listen, here's the process. The heat will come. The heat will come. Jesus said in this world, you will have persecution. There will be some difficulty when you're responding to God's word. Guys, don't think, don't think, this is the emotional here trap. Don't think that just because God's word is good and it's sweet that, listen, that there's not going to be any difficulty. Of course there will. That's not what stops us. That's what tests us. That's part of the process. Watch this. The word of God. Here he is. Can you imagine Jesus right now? And he's got, remember the picture? In his heart, great treasures of himself and who he is and what he's like. And he takes it out as his word and seed. And he's casting it into your heart and into your heart and into my heart. And he's casting, listen, listen. Here he is. And it takes root in your life and it begins to grow. Now watch this. Not only will the heat come, but the heat arises because of the word. Does that say that in there? Look in your Bible, check, make sure. Let's see. For when tribulation or persecution arises because, mark that word, because, because of the word. Why did this tribulation, difficulty, persecution, this heat that came in the life, why did it come? Because of the very word which was planted. The specifics of what God says will bring difficulty. Are you with me? When we begin to respond to God's word, there's going to be some resistance. There's going to be, the heat's going to come up in somewhere in our life. And the emotional here, that heat causes it to just be scorched and die before producing any fruit. Well, what could it look like for somebody who's not the emotional here? Peter writes about that. 1 Peter chapter 1. It's a little warm in here. You all with me? Need to stand up and stretch or anything? Let me fan you. Can you feel that? I'm just checking. A little sleepy, a little warm. This is going to come out great on the radio. They're wondering, what are they doing in that church? Are you there yet? I'm just stalling time. Are you there, First Peter? Okay, just checking. First Peter chapter 1, when this difficulty comes, look at verse 6. First Peter 1, 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, 
you have been grieved by various trials. That. Anytime you see a verse that begins with that, it means take the previous verse and apply it directly to that verse. Okay? So, you've been grieved by various trials that, or you might say so that, the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Look at that, guys. It's possible that the result of your life is something that's described as praise, honor, and glorify Jesus Christ. Does that sound like fruit? Does that sound like what God wants to do in your life? See, the, the, the heat's going to come, and the heat will do one of two things when, in regard to that word that's been planted in your life. Number one, it's, it's going to scorch the word. It's going to cause it to be shriveled up, withered away, no fruit, or, or it's going to strengthen the word. It's going to purify the word. It's going to, just, this is what it says here. If these trials, this heat comes, that the genuineness of your faith, the quality of your faith, being much more precious than gold is able to be found to praise, honor. Hold on. In other words, what Jesus wants is for our living faith to be so pure and valuable that it literally causes the world around you to praise, honor, and glorify God. You say, I don't even know what that looks like. Well, maybe, maybe when persecution and difficulty comes, maybe when the heat's turned up, maybe the word doesn't go deep enough in your life. See, embrace it. Embrace it. There's going to be some resistance. Embrace that. That's the resistance that takes the word that you received and drives it down into the, your character. It makes it become part of who you are. It's the difference of just having a label that says I believe in God's word and being somebody who lives God's word. It's the difference of somebody who, who brings around their Bible in their hand versus somebody who lives God's word outwardly so that the world around them can read who God is in their lives. You with me? Hey, that's what Jesus wants. That's what he wants for his followers to look like and to be. Here's a question. If the people in your neighborhood, if the people in your life, if the people at your workplace are to read your life, they read how you respond, they read what you say, they're reading how you react, they're reading what you're doing when nobody's looking, if they read your life, are they reading about the glory and the honor and the praise of God's character? not sure what about when the trouble comes guys there is the most sweet rewarding experience when God's word comes to fruition and produces fruit in our lives sometimes we forget that I just want you to know on the other side of the heat is great fruit it's great fruit and what you have to see here, notice it. The determining factor between whether this seed scorches and withers away or produces fruit has nothing to do with the nature or the degree of the heat. The heat's coming anyway. See it? 
withering away or producing fruit is not determined by what kind of heat or how much heat. It's determined by what kind of soil does the seed land in. That's us. That's our heart. I want to have a soft, cultivated, deep heart for God's word to rest in and take root in in my life. So that when the difficulty comes because of that word, it actually causes it to grow more and produce more fruit. All right. That's the process. Now turn all the way back to Matthew 13. And we'll close with looking just for a moment at the results. The heat comes. The heat arises because of the word. One of two things is going to happen when the heat comes. The word's either going to wither away or it's going to produce fruit. The results. Um, I, don't, I don't pretend to know what makes God really sad other than what the Bible tells us. But I have to imagine for a minute that after all that he's done and all that he continues to do for his church, for his people, I have to imagine that when Jesus has his entire church body and his word is constantly being sown into the hearts, that's your reading, Bible studies, preaching, the radio. And when God looks across America and looks at the church of the Lord Jesus Christ from the farmer's standpoint, there's not much fruit. There's not much fruit. The church is in decline. In large part, the church doesn't look a whole lot different from the rest of the world that the church lives in. I've got to imagine in my heart that's not the results God's looking for. And it must make God sad. What I'm really grateful for is to be part of a church where I don't sense that here at Cross Point Community Church. There's a love and an authenticity to the fellowship in this church. If you're a guest or a visitor, let me tell you what I'm learning as a guest and visitor of the church. There's something authentic and real. There are some saints who have been around for a long time in this church, and when they express love to me, it's not the emotional here. It's, it's a love that bears fruit. It's a commitment to Christ's love emanating from their heart, from a lifetime of learning that it's okay, the cost is worth it because Christ is greater than the cost. And there's fruit, evidence of fruit, all around us. What we have is the next year, the next three years, huge, great potential of the community of Reading and Shasta County and all around us to see what God looks like, to see evidence of the fruit of praise, honor, and glory to the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what's at stake. But we can't manufacture that on our own. The only way that happens is for us to dig down deep, pull out the stones and the rocks of our heart and to let God bury that seed deeply in our lives and for the heat when it comes to bear all kinds of fruit. And listen, there's no church program and there's no strategy and there's no book that you can read to cause that to happen. 
Jesus said it comes from how we respond to the word of God planted in our hearts. Results from God's word can be withered away, but it doesn't have to be. Cultivate your heart, church. What I'm going to do this morning is give you and I a chance to cultivate. You know, there's some stones, some rocks in there, and they're going to, they're going to prevent roots, makes it shallow. How do we do that? One more passage, because we only know of God's word to tell us how to respond to God's word. So we're going to turn all the way to James chapter 1. You guys are being really good. You're really faithful to stay in the word, and nobody's checking out on me yet. I'm really pleased. Stay with me. Don't, don't miss the ending, okay? Here's what we have to do. All right. James chapter 1, verse 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and watch it, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So the end, the end product here is that we are doing what God's word says, right? There's a result. But how does it happen? He says, well, in order for this word to be planted in our life, there first has to be some cultivating. He says, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness first. All right? That sounds harsh. <laughs> lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. How many people watched TV last week? Just raise your hand. That's all? Or are you just not raising your hand? Okay. Pretty good amount of people. Watch TV, listen to the radio. Some of what's stuck to you from the news and from all those programs that you watch, and I watch them too, some of that is the filthiness of the world. And sometimes it sticks with you. You know, I listened to country music all day yesterday on that 10-hour drive, and I was in between songs reviewing my sermon, and I was thinking, therefore, lay aside all filthiness, all filthiness. And this country song was like, you know how they get in your mind, that over and over and over and I'm, listen, I'm not even going to tell you what the word said because I'm embarrassed. And I don't agree with what the words were saying. I love the song, the tune, but I certainly don't embrace the message of what I was hearing over and over again in my head. But you know what? It kept driving over and over and over in my head. And I thought, oh, so that's what you mean. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness. Listen, I don't think God wants us to be hermits and, and monks and isolate ourselves from everything in the world and never, never touch anything unholy or unrighteous in the world. I think God wants us to be right in the middle of all the unrighteousness in Reading, right there. But we constantly have to take time and cultivate, purposefully, intentionally lay aside those things in our heart that are filthy. They get there. They accumulate. They pile up. It's going to happen. It's okay. The purpose is that we intentionally compare what God's word says and begin to take it out of our heart. We've got to have some cultivating experiences and overflow of wickedness. You know, you don't like to admit this probably, but there's wickedness that's in your own heart. And that stuff, I don't know where it comes from sometimes. I think thoughts and feel feelings and I think, my stars, where did that come from? I'm, that, I'm embarrassed. That's awful. It comes from the darkness and the wickedness of my own heart and don't you look at me like that. Yours does the same thing too. What do we do? We confess it. 
we acknowledge what truth says and we lay it aside. Apply the blood of Jesus. There's forgiveness. There's newness. Moment by moment, day by day. It's called cultivating your heart. So that then, after cultivating, after taking the rocks out, then we can receive with meekness the implanted word. Humility. Meekness. Receiving with meekness means I already know before it even comes that it's better than what I have. It's right. I want to give you a chance, church. I know you're not a whole lot different than me. We need to dig some rocks out. If we gather, I know we got to go and they're going to cut us off the radio and all that stuff, but listen, I don't care. If we gather in this place on Sunday morning and we are not prepared to let God's word really bear fruit in our life, then we gather in vain. I don't want to go through motions. I don't have time. Tomorrow, I need God's word to bear fruit in my life. Today, in this place, when it's fresh and new and God just spoke to me, we all have the chance to lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, cultivate our hearts. And I'm going to ask you during this response time to cultivate your heart. Find somewhere in your life overflow of wickedness, filthiness from the word, something that's in your mind and in your heart preventing you from going that much further with God. And I'm asking you to leave it on the altar. Would you pray with me? We're going to respond to you, God, this morning. As your church, we're we're going to obey. First and foremost, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I'm wondering if there's anybody here, you've never, you don't know Jesus. You've never had the opportunity to trust him as your personal Lord and Savior and receive forgiveness of your sins, everlasting life. My friend, there's good news. This morning you can make that decision right here forever. And it's just simply receiving by faith in a prayer like this. You pray with me. Father, I know that I sin. And my own sin prevents me from getting to you. So this morning I believe and trust in you, Lord Jesus, who died and shed your blood for my sins, that they would be forgiven. I received your gift of eternal life by faith. And I have received Jesus Christ at some point in my life, and I realized this morning that what he wants is fruit. He wants me to be a follower. And there's some stones in my heart And this morning, I just want to plow them up. This one stone is just on my mind. And Lord, I want to lay it aside. Lord, I agree with what you say. I, I don't want my own heart to prevent your word from growing. And I'm going to invite you, as you're praying, I'm going to invite you to just come to the altar. Everybody, whoever wants to. Old and young alike, man and woman, Leaders, visitors, everywhere in between. If God has spoken to your heart and you know of an area of filthiness, a resistance, a barrier, I'm going to ask you to come, stand, kneel, sit at the altar and cultivate with God. This is your time, church.
Would you come now? If God's speaking to your heart, you come. okay we have time as we're praying we have time it's okay Lord this is on my heart I don't know what to do with it would you help me would you take it give me the strength Lord give me the courage to take another step with you I just want to commit to you Lord that I know that you're better So much better than anything that I can do or find. So I lay aside this stone, this rock, this barrier. And oh God, with meekness, my heart's open to receive your word. Plant it. Grow it.